When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dear Black Girl is teaming up with WeWork to put together a special panel here in New York. It's called We Major, and it's a panel that highlights millennial women working in the music industry. So more details for that coming soon. Save that date, May 8th. Now for this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Dear Black Girl, and today our special guest is Brittany. Hi! Now, Brittany, tell me a little bit about yourself, because I know you're a digital content creator and you work at BT and I feel yes. like you do mad other stuff other stuff I do so it's funny I started out always telling stories so even when I was younger I would always like jump on the projects where you had to write so that's the basis of everything I do telling stories my full time I'm at BT as a audience development manager um, that's basically digital marketing so it's our job just to make sure that we're bringing in people to the website and BT Digital as a company grows month over month, year over year. So far, we're tracking well, so good job on that. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm also a writer, so I do a lot of entertainment journalism, cover stories, do interviews, movies. Um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I have like two sides of me, marketing and writing, and sometimes they combine and create a nice little project. So how did you get involved in all of this? So when I was, I'm originally from D.C., and when I was in D.C., I would go to a lot of music events. Like, I just really like live music, and then I would start, like, blogging about it. And then people would start asking me to, like, write stories about them and cover <laughs> them, and I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then I'm like, wait, so I need another platform for these things to live at, and at the time, they closed down a couple of years ago, but Examiner was, like, really big in a print and then digital space. And they were like, yeah, sure, come write for us. We'll pay you. And I grew that way. So I started being a writer, and then I was an editor for them um, in D.C. And then when I moved to New York, I was so concentrating on the marketing space, and I was like, I kind of miss writing. So they were still up and running then, and they were like, yeah, we'll make you a New York editor. So I started doing that, and a lot of the same publicists start reaching out to me, like, on their own, which is actually what kind of sparked the idea again. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. I came to New York to work for a marketing agency. That's why I say, like, the whole dual hats thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I came to work for a marketing agency, and then I would just, like, write on the side every free moment I had, and I kind of still do that. So, yeah. So how did you get into marketing? I was working my full-time job in D.C. at the time was a writer, and it was so comfortable, but it was like technical writing. Mm -hmm. um, I would get in at work at 7, be out by 3.30. <laughs> like, I was like, okay. And then um, I, after three years, I saw how people retired from the government. Mm -hmm. It's very easy, and I knew that's not what I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, I was starting to get complacent, and my friend, actually, she had left the same place we worked, and... She was a recruiter, and she's like, I found this job for you. I think it'd be perfect. It's in marketing, but it's a temp job. And I was like, well, I don't want a temp job. Like, I got real-life bills. They're not temporary. <laughs> and she was like, I'm just telling you, why don't you meet with the lady? And the lady, her name is Sheila Brooks. She's a black woman. She's, like, Emmy-awarded, and she went from journalism to marketing. Okay. So I was like, okay. She owned her own agency, and they set me up with an interview. Before I even got home, the temp agency actually called me and was like, um, we have a problem. And I was like, okay. And they were like, what did you say to her? And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? And they were like, what did you say to her? And they literally had me go over the entire interview. And then they were like, okay, well, she wants to buy us out of the contract and she just wants to hire you full time. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, isn't that a good thing? And they were like, no, we need our monthly money. <laughs> so, like, they were like really mad at me for acing this interview. And I was like, Okay, so you guys can work that out. Just let me know if I need to put a notice in my real job. Like, that has nothing to do with me. And they worked something out where, like, she paid them for five months. And then, you know, she actually switched over, and I was her full-time employee. That's super dope. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was a good journey. It was. That's how I know, you know, we talk about, like, divine timing. 
definitely divine timing because I was like, I can retire from here, which I don't want to do, or I can move into something else where I get to tell larger stories. Mm -hmm. And that's how the marketing transition happened. And it's definitely not like the easiest thing to get into, so I know I'm blessed. But um, after that, I was just addicted. I love it. No, marketing, I feel like it's really cool because you get to paint the picture for everybody. Exactly. And then sometimes you don't always have the best paint. You don't. You don't. And like, (laughs) you do not have the best paint. And you're like, okay, what's the story I want to tell? Like, what is going to resonate with these people? And you don't make everybody happy. I remember for a few months, um, I worked with the marketing digital marketing agency and they they do a lot of other stuff now mm-hmm. but it's for artists and it's hard it's hard painting pictures for certain arts like some are easy others yeah. are hard so hard especially if the music's not amazing <laughs> exactly and they the thing in marketing, especially I feel like when it comes to women and women of color, they're not going to give you necessarily the easiest projects, mm-hmm. right? So when I went to my first agency, when I moved to New York, my first New York agency, they like, I kept getting these difficult clients and I would ace some, but I'd be like, why do I get all the difficult clients? And they like, we were out at happy hour having drinks and then they were like, well, you know, we purposely give you the difficult clients because you know how to handle them. I'm like, yeah, no, I want to have a nice day sometimes. Can we switch that up? <laughs> so it's funny. Like, yeah, the story's not great. The product's not great. The music's not great. The people you're working with aren't great sometimes. But it's your job to just paint the story. Oh, wow. Yeah. So let's get into your first song, num- song number five. Song number five. I I went old school with this one, and it is Sister Sledge, We Are Family. We are family Mm -mm 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 -mm. I got all my sisters and me (laughs) that is so important (laughs) for me as a black girl Um, but because that sister term right Mm -hmm. like of course it's my real family I do have one biological sister but I have like seven that my parents consider their kids we I've known them through like various stages of life, whether it was like Taekwondo class or Catholic school, high school, college, and even people that I've met here. I've been here three years and it's like, oh, okay, like you're my family. Like mm-hmm. I don't really have friends. I have family and then I have associates and then I have people I just don't care about. So um, <laughs> We Are Family is definitely my first one. You know, you you need them. That's yes. how you get through like days and they celebrate with you. And sometimes when I'm not proud of myself, they're proud of me. And that's something that... It keeps you going. Right. Like, I don't think that I realized until I moved here how much I don't appreciate my wins. Like, I'm always cheering my friends on. And they'll be like, but wait, hold on. You did this. Can we celebrate this right now? I'm like, that? That's nothing. So, yeah, we are family. My friends are definitely my family, especially my sisters. It's a, it's a different bond, right? That's number five. So why do you feel like since you moved here, you haven't celebrated your wins that often? New York is a difficult place. It is a difficult place. D.C. was my home for 27 years, 28 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to Hampton for school. That's fine. But moving to New York was definitely a change. I had my own place. I paid I pay my own bills in D.C., but it's different when you live at home, right? So (laughs) I'm paying my car note, and I'm paying my cell phone, and I think I'm an adult. But um, I moved here, and rent for a shoebox started off at, like, $16.75, and I'm like, oh, this is what an adult is? Let's go back. (laughs) I don't think I'm ready. Um, So I think I've been so focused on trying to do more than survive. Mm Mm-hmm. That the little wins, I'm just like, oh, that girl, I don't know. But I know I need to come up with this rent in two weeks. So um, I'll talk to you later. Bye. I understand that completely. Like, um, so I moved from D.C. after high school to come here for college. And I think I hated New York my first year. I hated my first year and a half. Yeah, it took a, it took a minute because, first of all, no one was nice. <laughs> my first critique on New York is... The people are mean. <laughs> I want to cry. <laughs> and they're selfish. <laughs> like, you can say hi and smile at people, and they're just giving you, like, that side eye. Like, why are you looking at me? How like, dare you speak? Like, okay. <laughs> and then it was just so, I don't know. I remember I was just in there, like, I need to transfer. I need to go back down south. Everyone here is so mean. And it's just hard. It was just so hard. And then, I don't know, maybe I got used to it. 
I think that's what happens. You get used to it, or you, you realize people aren't that mean. They're just not friendly. Yeah. They're not as friendly starting out. But they are friendly when you get to know them, but starting out, nah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a combination, right? You get used to them, and you I think you change a little. When yeah, you, you become more like them. Yeah, and you try not to completely assimilate because y'all still kind of mean in New York. But, um, like, it's hard to not assimilate. It is. And I think you need to because it's the only way you can keep up with the pace. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very... When they said that New York was fast-paced at first, I'm like, no, it's pretty much the same in, as in D.C., but... When I first moved here, I got tired just going to and from work. Like, going to and from work on that train, it was a lot for me. I used to drive everywhere. I was like, oh, no. Like, there's always something going on on the train. It's rain on the inside. I'm like, I'm not ready. It's trash. Is that a rat? Um, like, I used to go to sleep every day at 630 when I got home. And my mother would be like, are you sick? I'm like, and tired. No, that's one thing I think my mom will never understand. Because whenever I go home, I just sleep I just sleep and my mom's just like why are you always sleeping you're so lazy this that and the other I was like if you only understood I don't sleep in New York like I barely sleep and I can't sleep or I don't sleep for a long time I'm not relaxed my mind's always moving like when I'm home I'm just I'm just here Yes, and you get that good D.C. sleep. Yeah, Like, you come back, your skin goes, I was in D.C. this weekend. I looked in the mirror this morning. I was like, girl, you need to go to D.C. more often. You're glowing. Your bags aren't as dark. Look at your hair bouncing. (laughs) I don't know if it's the water or, you know, you don't hear ambulances, but it's just amazing. I I honestly don't know what it is either, but it's just like it's a breath of fresh air. But then, like, you can't. And it sucks because, like, you can't be home that long because then you get bored. Yes, exactly. I always leave right on time. And I say, <laughs> now I call New York home, too. So I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's time to go home. It's time <laughs> to go home. So I feel like that's good on us. Like, we made it. Yes. we made. And you've been here much longer than I have. And you still look very youthful. So good. I know. Good I'm, so <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm so lucky. Because New Yorkers look tired. And I get it. Like, some days I look in the mirror and I'm like, mm-mm. Like, You're I not used, taking care of yourself. I used to look at the kids like... Yo, y'all look older than me. Yes. Like full-grown people. When I first moved here, I was catching a train one day. I didn't have on any makeup. I think I wore my hair like naturally curly. And mm-hmm. this boy kept trying to talk to me. And I said, how old are you? And he says, 16. I said, one, you look like you're 26. Two, I'm old enough to be your mother. I need you to <laughs> and let me get on this train. He was like, no, age is nothing but a number. I said, to oh, R. Kelly, all right? Pass, I was pass. like, to R. Kelly, you're a little bit. You might be too grown for me. <laughs> but I'm definitely older than you. <laughs> yes, these kids are fast. Oh, my God. I remember, um, what happened? Oh, so, like, our teacher was telling us about how, like, at a certain age, maybe, like, eight or nine years old, the kids have to catch a subway by themselves because the buses don't pick them up no more. And I'm just like, where? In this city? Really? My mom dropped me off until I went to college. (laughs) I think the first time I crossed the street, I was 13 by myself. So, Like, I I never took public transportation. It went, my mom dropped me off, and then I got a license. Yeah. (laughs) That's how it worked. Exactly. (laughs) I had to beg to catch the bus. Here's a way way of life, which is, you know, one of the great things about New York is that everybody's so resilient. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what's going on. And that's one thing I do like. Like, you're strong being a D.C. girl. Like, that's just what it is. But there's a different type of resilience where, like, People are surviving here, like, every day. Yes. And think about rent and the prices of things. And it's people with full families. And I'm sitting here complaining about little old me. But it's people with three kids, four kids, and kids just riding the subway. they eight, nine years old. And I'm sitting here like, is this my stop? And they're like, no, you got three more stops. And then you get off and you make a left. And I'll be like, but you're six. Like, <laughs> thank you, but you're six. So, no, they're very resilient people. And- I know you have to be because... I think it's like New York is a city. It's hard to live in because you can't afford to live here, and I feel like because your people are always trying to afford to live here, they don't really get to live that much. Mm-hmm. Like just live. That's important. Which is so important. So important. Like I'm not gonna lie. If my mom didn't help me cover half my bills, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. where the hell I'll be living at in New York. Yeah. Well, Jersey now, but still. Yeah, still right. Like it's. The sacrifices you have, not even sacrifices, the choices you have to make daily, right? Like, oh, am I going to 
eat out as much this month or am I going to save some money? Saving money's hard in New York. So hard. It's hard. It's impossible, it feels like. So, and I even set up this thing where like, okay, take $200 out my check every week and put it into no, my savings. No, you dip account. into that. I just, I just transfer. <laughs> I thought I was all smart. Please don't link my savings account to my uh, ATM card. And they're like, okay, Miss Taylor. And then one day I called them. I was like, listen, I need you to link my savings account <laughs> to my ATM card. Well, Miss Taylor, you can transfer with, no, I need to get the money whenever I need it. And they're like, okay, Miss Taylor, you tried. I said, I did, but this is not going to work here. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't work. I'm going to try and get better. 2018 goals. Mine too. <laughs> Song number four. Song number four is, have you ever heard of the singer Lizzo? No. Okay, so Lizzo is gorgeous. She <laughs> is um, pretty young. I'm not sure where she's from, but I'm thinking it might be the Midwest. But she has two songs that are both counting as song number four. Mm-hmm. The first one is Good As Hell, and it's um, basically she's, like, growing through life, and she, like, had to check herself. Like, wait a minute. Like, I'm going to flip my hair, get my nails done, and I'm going to be a goddess, right? She was like, because, you know, sometimes life gets you down. And then I feel like the more grown-up version of that is off of her new EP. It's called Truth Hurts. One of my favorite songs. It kind of talks about dating a little bit, but the whole point is, again, no matter how life comes at you, like, you're a goddess. It's okay to cry. Mm -hmm. You're human. And then you get back up, and you just keep living. So it's a really cute song. So going through life, have you ever had those experiences? Well, I guess you did say that when you were working at the government. You were just going through life. I was and I was happy too. I was happy. I had money. I was spending money. I was dating. I was I was living a life. But I was like, wait a minute. Brittany. I think I was twenty three at the time when I made the switch. I was like, come on, you can't do this. Like you're gonna wind up being like other people that you sit there and sometimes you like, they're not happy. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. It's cause it's easy to be content with good money and freedom. But I would rather have that doing something that I love and something that I can break off from a company and have my own company and do it wherever I want to whenever and however I want to and that's why marketing was a good switch but in general I have especially in New York I feel like that first year and a half was rough boy (laughs) it was rough and people didn't know it was rough and I would like find myself when my friends would complain about me not calling in DC and how like I'm not being a good friend I'd be like you guys have each other I am here by myself in this city, and I would have an attitude. Mm-hmm. So I had to check myself, like, all right, Brittany, like, these are your friends. They love you. So what are you not doing? And it was, I don't think I was that happy. The transition was a little tough. I was happy with my job and happy to be learning new things. That always makes me happy, and definitely the money was great. Um, but, again, it was just that transition to New York. And I've also had times in dating where I don't really take dating too seriously and I probably should because I'm 31, um, slide into my DMs. But um, <laughs> but I definitely wasn't taking dating that seriously, but I would, because of that, I would date people that I knew would not be for me long-term. Mm-hmm. Just in a moment. But sometimes that, like, causes problems. Yeah. <laughs> I had to learn that. <laughs> I had to learn that. I'm like, oh, wait. See, that thing that you didn't like about him that you knew would be a reason why you would never date him seriously is showing its head. And now you're like, I don't want to look at your face and he won't go away. What to do at that issue? I do not know how. Like, I'm very smart, but sometimes I'm just not that The red flags, though. (laughs) I have no idea. Like, I do this thing where I feel like I can control a lot of things. Oh, God, And I think that's one of my problems. You can't control anything. Exactly. <laughs> that is my, might be one of my biggest lessons in New York. Mm-hmm. That I really don't control anything but myself. And, mm-hmm. like, you know that, but I feel like I didn't execute that way. I didn't move that way. I'm like, mm, it's okay. If anything goes wrong, I got it. And I'm like, no, you don't. New York told me that. <laughs> so I feel like good as hell and truth hurts are good for those moments where it's like, okay, you were a human. It's okay. Brush it off. Get yourself together. And go be fabulous. That's at the end. That's the whole thing, though, right? She's like, "You're still a goddess, anyway." Go ahead. And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Let me go get my nails done. Talk to my girlfriends and have a good time." So let's talk dating in New York. How has dating in New York been for you versus dating in DC? I love dating in DC. Mm-hmm. I do. I love the men. 
Um, they're different. They're different. They're so different. They're a combination of like that city slickness that you like in that good old southern country, yeah. southern manners. You know, they open doors. They really do think about your feelings first. Mm-hmm. Um, in New York, <laughs> I haven't dated seriously until recently. Mm-hmm. So I've been here three years and. You know, probably not until like the end of 2017 did I say, okay, I like this in real life, right? (laughs) Um, So I may not be a good judge, but one of the reasons why I haven't dated here is because I just feel like everybody is trying to be seen. Mm -hmm. Um, Not really a big turn on for me. And also, the men are just different. They're different. Even if they're not from New York, it's very easy to pick up some of those New York habits. Um, I think women are at the ready a lot more than in D.C. Like, we do still have, and I didn't realize that until I moved here, we still do have some of those traditional Southern habits in D.C. with dating that they may not have as much here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But for me, (laughs) it takes a while for me to adjust, and some things I'm just not willing to adjust to. But, um... The people are nice to go on dates with. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to do here. Like, go on yes, dates. let's go to this exhibit. Let's go to dinner. Let's go to this party. Um, in our industry, you have to be careful because I feel like sometimes people just want connections. Mm-hmm. But I'm also very, I don't know. I'm not that, like, open with my connections anyway. So <laughs> it's not really a problem with me. If you're not a real friend or... I see you working on something and don't even know you, but I'm like, hey, you should meet this person. Like, my connection building, my networking is genuine. So I don't really have to worry about that too much. No, I will agree with you. Dating back home is completely different. I like it more than dating up here. Up here, there's way more things to do. Definitely. But the men are just different. And it's hard because then, like, when you date up here, you expect them to be, like, the men back home. But it's not, and it gets disappointing and frustrating and leads to arguments. <laughs> yes, like, you're supposed to do this. And then, like, I, I had this guy tell me, like, this isn't, in essence, magazine. That's not how <laughs> relationships work. <laughs> Meanwhile, he was quoting hashtag black love on Twitter. So sorry that I misunderstood what you were representing yourself as. But I don't know. Cause, and, and also, like, I don't... Emotionally, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's like a different type of emotions. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just the ones I've dated. But, like, they're not emotionally connected. Like, back home. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Because sometimes I turn into Dr. Love because I'm great at giving advice even if I don't follow it. <laughs> Are you purposely attracting emotionally unavailable men, Unique? No. I don't think so. Oh, God. Okay, kind of like, hi, how are you today? Mm-hmm. No one says, hi, how are you? Like, that's regular. I thought that's regular. That is regular. Like, you're not supposed to check in and just say, hi, how are you? Oh. You don't do that. It's like, it's not like emotionally like, oh my God, he should always be there. It's just ran- random stuff that you expect people to do. Yeah. Listen, you've been here a lot longer than me, but you're still doing this. You better work out, Mr. Current Guy, because I'm definitely not going to go through this again. <laughs> no, but there, there's, I don't know. And it's I feel weird. like the guys here are good friends. They Does are. They are amazing friends. And that's that's different. Like, back home is wishy-washy, but here, the guys here are amazing friends. Amazing like, friends. Amazing. And yeah. I, but they're just terrible in dating. Yeah, like even your amazing <laughs> friends. Like when they tell me they're dating things or I see them doing something, I'm like, this is why we will never date. But <laughs> exactly. they're amazing They're amazing friends. friends. Like they're there, this and the other. Like they have all the qualities. But then it's like when you see how they interact with whatever girl they're dating or talking to, it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? you just have to do the same thing. Why isn't it translating? I don't know. I don't know. Boys are weird. I feel like we should do a study. We should do a study. New York men. Exactly. It's not even just New York men. It's the men that moved here and have lived here for a while. Yes. They're the same way, too. Agreed. I was telling my friend the same thing. I was like, they don't even have to be from New York. If you've been here over a year, you just kind of assume the qualities of a New Yorker. But as they get older, they get better. They get better. Well, it's like that meme. I don't want you when you're a skeleton (laughs) and we're sitting on the park bench. (laughs) You're not about to take up my good years. (laughs) (laughs) I want you ready now. That's why a lot of girls date older men in New York, I think. 
Yeah, that is. I'm, yeah, I agree. I think that's why. And even then, some of them still aren't ready. Yeah. It's just sad. So sad. It's sad. <laughs> My mother always looks at me like, hey, Brittany, um, New York dating and even dating in your generation is so different than when I was coming up. Mm-hmm. Like, she knew my dad since she was 16. Aww. Yeah. They got married. Like, they had three kids. They had businesses together. They're not married now, but they're, they still act like it. So it's like, you know, the chances of you getting that today are slim. But I, slim. I do see it in, like, my little sister. She's 19. I see it with her age group. So... At least things are getting better. Maybe just skip the generation. Yeah. I've actually never talked to my mom about dating. No? No. My mom wants grandkids, so now she'll ask me certain things. Like, I know you don't like to share who you're dating. My mom's not at that point. (laughs) Thank you, lucky stars, because Christmas was... No, I don't think anyone in my family. I've never been asked a question. So when you're having kids, when you're getting married, this, that, and the other. I've never... Well... By one of my older cousins, but she's from New York. Mm-hmm. I've always been asked, "Are you dating anyone?" This and the other. My mom's never asked me that question mm-hmm. ever in life. So I remember the first time I told her I was, she was dating someone. She was like, "Oh, for real? How long? <laughs> Why am I just find out? Can I meet them?" Yeah. And that's and it just ends at that. <laughs> that's why I don't tell my mom about dating because then she'll want to meet them. Well, they have to. Absolutely, absolutely. If someone's gonna be in my space. I'll let my mom and dad know that they exist, mm-hmm. just in case, like, they kill me or something. Like, it's important <laughs> to know that it was XX who lives in the Bronx, but sometimes stays in Brooklyn. Like, you need to know. But other than that, like, when I was in D.C., no, I was living life. Oh, yeah. There was there was nobody they needed to meet. <laughs> no, I, I was having a good old time. But, damn, I lost a train of thought. Of all this dating talk. Yeah. Dating talk and grandkids. And to my parents' credit, they never, ever pushed me to date or have kids or any of that stuff. They knew what type of person I was and how I wanted to experience life. And they wanted me to experience life because Mm -hmm. we've been together since they were 16, right? So lessons learned type of thing. But I think now. Now it's like, all right. That's all their friends are having, like, grandkids. And it's like, well, where are my grandkids yeah. coming at? That's like, that's like the all your friends are getting married, and you're just like, well, where's my ring at? I never I mean, felt even that though, way. You never felt that way? Mm-hmm. Obviously, in weddings, it's like, I don't I don't want what's after the wedding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, well, what is my wedding? But then I think about, like, I really don't want that whole thing, that whole being. I'm not ready for the idea of being married. I'm, I'm ready for the wedding. I'm just not ready for the marriage part yet. I'm not ready to share my space with someone. Really? I would have to really like them. Like, I mean, which you should like your husband. But um, <laughs> I'm not ready for that yet. Because you're asking them every day. But it's like having a roommate, honestly. I never really you never had, had a roommate. Oh, well, then, yeah. You're not yeah, like in college, I always had my own room. Yep, you're not going to be ready for that. Here, I live by myself. <laughs> you're not going to be ready for that for a while. <laughs> Here, I live by myself. So it's like, yeah, no. Because college is like where you get accustomed to the idea of having a roommate. And God, I had eight fucking roommates in college because we had a suite. Yeah. And then my room alone was three. And I hated every, well, except for one person. Because me, <laughs> me and her went to high school. Uh-huh. Everyone else in that bitch, I hated. <laughs> <laughs> I hated with a passion. Like, if I did not have my, her name's Brittany, but if I didn't have my friend Brittany from high school in that room with me, oh my God, I'd have lost my fucking mind. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't signing up for And roommate. then it was also a culture shock for me because me and her are the only two black girls in that entire suite. Really? And I think we might have been, like, the only, like, black people they've actually interacted with in their entire life. Isn't that always interesting? Yeah. When you're the test? Yeah, it was not fun. Yeah. It was not fun, especially, um, especially my roommate, our other roommate, who was just, like, she's from Jersey. She knew some black people, but I don't know... Because there's, there's levels to black. Mm-hmm. There's different types of blacks. And she didn't know D.C. black. <laughs> D.C. black is special now. And, and D.C. white is special, too, because yeah. I thought I knew white people. And I didn't know white people, so I came to New York because D.C. white is different. It is different. It's so D.C. different. It's a unique place. It's yeah. like this like mix of culture and history and sophistication and unsophistication, Yeah, if that's a word. But, yeah, like. All in one person. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, to me, not everyone, but most people are pretty open to mm-hmm. a lot of different ideas and things and willing to learn about each other. So you meet these people and you're like, wow, okay, 
And then you go somewhere else and you realize that they're weird. not ready for you and you definitely didn't know what you were going to get when you met them. So it's weird because like, it's one of those like, I feel like I really saw color when I moved to New York. I said the same thing. Because before I was like, okay, we're different shades, but like we're all the same. Just I know we all hang out together. Um, I mean, I'm like everyone was just either black. I mean, it was black, Asian, Mexican, white, but it was still just like, hey, that's so and so. You forget their mm-hmm. skin color. Then I came here. I was like, oh, you're really white. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're really, you're really this, you're really that. It's, it's not, it's not. Yeah, it was different. Yeah, and it's so funny because people are like, New York is the least racist place. And I'd be like, where? (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's because I lived in D.C. where, like, we really were just a group of friends, a group of classmates, a group of whatever. And, like, yes, you're white, and I'm black, and you're Hispanic, and you're Asian. But, like, we identified. We shared a lot of cultural similarities. Everyone did the same thing. Yes, went to the same places, went to the same parties. I mean, you know, you get your little, like, breakaways, but, like... For the most part, everyone grew up together and knew about the same thing and all that. And then um, came up here. <laughs> it was different. <laughs> I agree. And then, like, even, like, with classism, like, um, I remember one of my friends, they're not even from New York, but I remember them tell, telling me, like, they D.C. is so weird to them because, like, it's the first place where they'll see a kid that's rich hanging out with a kid that's poor. Mm-hmm. And... The kid that's rich don't care that he's poor, and the poor kid don't care that he's rich. Like, they're legit friends, but, like, you don't see that other places. I'm like, really? It's like, oh, really? Yes. It's just a different place. It's so different. It's so different. So, yeah, New York opened my eyes to classism and racism. (laughs) But it's home now. Yeah. (laughs) Song number three. Song number three is a Beyonce song. Ooh. Um, and it's funny. A lot of people claim that they don't like Beyonce, but Beyonce has a song for every situation. Yes. And anytime I need a pick-me-up, it's Beyonce mm-hmm. at all times. So it's her song, Grown Woman. Um, mm-hmm. There was a cute little video for it where like her and Kelly were themselves through different ages and they use home videos. But there's a basically the whole like chorus but she's like I'm a grown woman I can do whatever I want and I'm like yes B yes <laughs> uh, that would be song number three I think it's important that we need to remember as women that we can be and do whatever we want and not even just in the inspirational sense mm-hmm. I can be as sexy as I want I can wear what I want I can go where I want I can date who I want when I want however I want to um, all of that's important to me. Like, I think that sometimes we have these images of what a successful black woman looks like. Like, it's okay and definitely aspirational to be an Oprah, to be a Michelle Obama. And it's also okay to have a little bit of Cardi B in you, to have a little bit of anybody. You know what I mean? Like, we're multifaceted. And I think that being that token model minority like we shouldn't even put that responsibility on ourselves and I think that like you said about school like you'll find a lot of times you'll be the first person that someone who's not like you gets a chance to actually interact with and get to know and it's okay like I don't have to be perfect that's fine and I feel like every time I listen to that song it like just empowers me to (laughs) do what I want and not be afraid to ask for more money. I had to do that at a job while I was here. I found out they were paying this guy who just walked through the door $11,000 more than they were paying me, and I had been there for a year. Oh. So I went to them, and I said, hey, I'm going to leave if I don't get a raise because this person came through the door making this amount of money. He comes to me for help all the time, which I'm more than willing to give, but I don't understand why you thought he was more valuable than me walking through the door. And they gave me a $12,000 raise. I always wonder, why do they pay underpay women? Like, I, that's something, okay, I guess back in the 50s and 60s, women stayed home, men did the jobs. But then after the whole movement when women started working, like, why are you women still getting paid less? Because that's how the 10 women have family, a family to take care of. Like, they might be a single mother or they have all these other stuff. Shouldn't they be getting paid a little more than the men? I just think it's like that whole systematic thing right like 
you are a woman, so we don't think that you deserve this amount of money to do the same job, I think is the first thought. Even mm-hmm. though people will never admit it, and it'll be the kindest people that are hiring managers and what's they just know or feel like men are going to negotiate. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. Women sometimes don't negotiate. We will get an offer letter and be like, oh, okay, this is a good salary. I'll accept. You don't know what that man's offer letter started with sometimes. Um, and actually one of my friends, he's a white guy from Buffalo. He taught me this. He would go ask for a raise every six months. He was like, the only thing they could say is no. And he made so much more money than me by the time I left the agency. He was like, wait, how much? And, you know, they never want you to talk about salary with your coworkers. Because they don't want you to see how much you're paying the next person. Yes, but my friend Ryan, he's still one of my closest friends here in New York. And he was like, yeah, no. And then he told me how much somebody else was making. And he was like, Ask for a raise every six months. And he would just put it on his calendar as a recurring appointment. <laughs> and he was not afraid. He doesn't care if he was late that day. Like, there's a fearlessness sometimes that comes with entitlement and privilege mm-hmm. that we need to adopt. And I feel like, again, that Beyonce song, Grown Woman, just empowers me to be that person. Like, I'm not afraid to ask for more money. I'm not afraid to renegotiate. It doesn't matter if I was sick last week. It doesn't matter if I did something wrong. I made a mistake. It doesn't matter if I came in late today. I know what I deserve. And I think that might be something that I learned in New York. I need to learn that lesson. It's hard. It's so hard. Because it'll be like, I'll think about something, but then I'll fuck up that day and be like, nah, I gotta wait till I didn't fuck up. Let me tell you, <laughs> Ryan wouldn't come to work on time for three weeks and would still God, be like, right. hey, <laughs> race time. <laughs> and I would look at him, I'm like, you're gonna go do that? He was like, yeah. And he would look at me like I was crazy. And I was like, well, Brittany, maybe you are crazy because he's sitting here getting more money every six months. That's amazing. Like, and the, and he'll probably come with the, because um, I was having a, a talk with, um, a friend and one one way like even when you ask for a raise I feel like she said one way that they'll try to like kindly say no is ask well what value are you adding yeah you come in with it you have to come in with everything that's what I learned I came in with numbers mm-hmm. I came in with examples of my work I came in with uh, client emails where they're like, Brittany, we wouldn't have been able to do this without you. Or Brittany, you know, thanks for coming on to this account. You saved it. I came with emails from management at my agency. Well, you said that I was this asset. So let me know if I did something since then that dropped my value. When you say things like that to people, <laughs> it's very hard for them to be like, nah. Yeah. Because <laughs> then they're like, well, I do did say that it is in this email I do feel that way Mm -hmm. and they're more like well let me see what I can do and I feel like when a woman asks that second time around and you sometimes you got to ask three times Mm -hmm. like that's just what happens luckily at my agency they did work with me I asked that one time and they would work things out but if you have to ask more than once keep asking Ryan asks every six six months months. so twice a year (laughs) where's my race twice a year sometimes they might tell him no (laughs) He'll come back a week later. He will continue to ask, and he'll still ask you in six months. So you say yes, and then actually get in six months. That's amazing. It's crazy, but it's oh something that I learned. You got to be a grown woman like Beyonce. Imagine how many times Beyonce had to take charge to the point where she actually took charge of her own career over her own father. Mm-hmm. If she can do that, like we can do anything. That's that's so mind-blowing. Isn't it? But yeah, that, is, that does come. Yeah, that's, that's so different. Remember that. Every six months, Ryan was going in there. And he was never on time. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Ryan was never on time. But then, like like you said, there's a fearlessness that comes with entitlement. You have to adopt that. And you have to learn how to have that. Because I feel like, well, I don't feel like, we, for so long, we weren't, like, taught that we are entitled to have certain things. And we're treated that way. So Mm -hmm. it's just like. Yeah, I'm afraid to ask. It'll be like you're afraid to ask because you're like, well, what if I lose my job for asking for a raise? Because there are some people that, places that will fire you for asking for a raise, but find a way to fire you. Yeah. And if that's the case, they didn't value you. And I know mm-hmm. no one wants to be without a job at the last minute, but you can go somewhere where they do value you. We should not be so tight. And I know we're adults and we have bills, but we should never live in fear. Right. So I feel like if you're at a place where you're living in fear, that's not the place for you anyway. So 
be planning your escape. When you ask for your raise and you know that's the type of place you're at, also it helps to be like, okay, well, I've been applying for the past month. I've been on some secret little interviews at lunch. If this doesn't work well, I have another place to go. Um, I try to live from a place of love and not fear, and I feel like that makes me a much happier person. I don't want to be in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or dating, where I'm doing things out of fear. Mm-hmm. Fear to lose you, fear to lose a job, fear to lose a place. I want to do everything because I love you or this job or this work or, you know, the friendship we have. If we're not doing that, you're not for me. You know, you meet a lot of people in New York or in life in general, and people can be good people and not be part of your tribe. And I think for me, it's important for me to be surrounded by people that live in love. That is so amazing. Oh, thank you. That was really good. That was really good. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Like, I had to sit here and say, what's the difference in what I've done since I moved to New York than what I've done my whole life? Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of outside of work relationships, and I didn't have many when I first moved here, were more out of fear. And fear is a big term, right? It could be desperation. It could be loneliness. But all of that is still stemming from fear. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what I did the first year I was here. And while these might have been good people for other people, whether it's as friends or relationships, they were not good for me. And I'm the type of person where it takes a toll on my physical. So, like, I'm looking tired. You notice when people are happy, like, they all look happy. You ever be on Instagram and people are, like, so so happy? Super happy. Yeah. But, like, their friends are happy, too, and they all look so rested and rejuvenated. When I switched up and went back to living out of love, I feel like I did the same, and so did the people around me. Like, mm-hmm. we really just look happy. That's it. And it's <laughs> nice. It was definitely, I felt more, like, at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I try that out? Try it. I have to try that out. Try it. It changes you. Definitely changes you. Never do anything because you're afraid of losing something. Yeah, New York will do that to you. Yeah. Because it's one of those like, well, I don't have family here, so. You just want some stability. <laughs> I need something to stable in my I life. I dated a guy because <laughs> I loved going to his house and being around his mother and his siblings. Mm-hmm. I liked them more than I ever liked him. <laughs> okay. But it was good when somebody's mom is like, hey, Brett, why don't you come over and get some dinner? And you, like, can spend the night over there, and it's, like, a whole family situation. And D.C., one, I never really dated anybody that lived at home, so that was definitely a change. (laughs) And, two, I never dated anybody who I liked their mom better than I liked them. There's too many (laughs) options out here. And that's when I I had to check myself. And Uh I was like, listen, you're doing it all wrong. This is not life. (laughs) <laughs> you have your own mother and siblings. Like, you will be fine. Mm-hmm. Let it go. And I did, and I have been so happy. <laughs> like, so happy. <laughs> Song number two. Song number two. So I actually, like, had a little fight with this one. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I think that I finally decided on... Hmm. Maybe I didn't decide. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'm going to go with Shaka Khan. Mm-hmm. I'm every woman. One, I love Shaka. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all in me. <laughs> Anything you want done, baby. I do it naturally. Whoa. 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 <laughs> and then you got, like, when Whitney redid it and she had TLC in the video. So sometimes I pick songs just because of the memories that they have. Shaka, I used to listen to her all the time growing up. Um, I'm an 80s baby and a 90s kid, but my parents played music from every single genre growing up. It was like I grew up in a musical family. Like, we used to do duets, my daddy and I, and my mom used to get jealous sometimes. (laughs) And she's like, you're always singing with your daddy. And, like, I grew up watching them dance Mm -hmm. all the time. Like, I'd be cleaning up in the kitchen, and they'd be in the kitchen dancing. So that's, like, what love kind of looks like to me. Um, So with I'm Every Woman, I remember that... I was, like, doing the dishes, which I hated doing, so I was probably miserable. (laughs) And the song came on, and my mom, like, picked up a turkey baster and acted like it was a microphone (laughs) and danced around our entire house, okay? And my dad was, like, so enthralled with her performance. And I just remember thinking... 
I'm just like that. I'm every woman, right? And I was like, that day I didn't hate washing the dishes. <laughs> I did not hate washing the dishes. I love Shaka Khan. I still need to see her perform live because she is one of my favorites. And I don't know. It's just that belief that you don't even have to try. Mm-hmm. Like everything that you need and want is innate and you just need to tap into it. You don't need to go outside of you for any of these things. But then you can be with other women who are also every other woman and just watch it multiply times 100. So that's my song number two. <laughs> so how do you tap into yourself to bring out the stuff that you already have inside? I am very analytical. I don't know if it's because I'm the oldest of three or if it's because I'm a Scorpio or if it's because I act just like my grandmother who also is a Scorpio, but I am constantly evaluating my performance um, to the point where it's sometimes not a great thing. And that goes back to like sometimes I don't even give myself praise, which I need to do more often and celebrate my own personal wins. But I'll sit around and I'll say, okay, this happened. I was very happy with it. Or this happened and it didn't feel right. Why didn't it feel right? What did I do? Um, And usually after these journeys, though, I realized that, like, I am more than capable to do anything. And I feel that way more often than not. So it's like sometimes I'll turn on music because that's good for me. I love music. Or when I'm really, like, in a deep thought, I clean. That's how people know something is wrong. They'll come in my house. Like, my friend, she'll be like, I smell fabuloso down the hallway. (laughs) I was like, outside the door? She was like, as soon as I came off the elevator, I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Brittany's thinking about something. I was like, but look, my space is clean, and so is my mind. Let's talk. (laughs) Um, So that actually does work for me. I'll just, I'm good at separating myself and taking some personal time. I am one of those people who love being alone. Um, I love good company, and I love being alone. So it's like if you're not willing to add to my happiness, I'd really rather not deal with you. So in a lot of those alone moments, I'm just tapping into myself all day. I'll write. I'll randomly, um, like, jot some things down. I'm so old school. I will pick up a pen and pencil. And um, one of my friends actually gifted me this journal where – Every day for five years, you just write a thought. Mm-hmm. And you can go back and look at what you thought each day over the course of five years. Oh, so, so, like, cool. it'll be, like, January 1st, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. And each day, you'll be like, oh, wow, this is what I thought in 2017. And then look at it come to fruition in 2018. And that thing wasn't as big of a deal as I thought in 2019. <laughs> and look at me in 2020. That didn't even matter. So that's how I tap into myself. And I, I try to be kind to myself. That's also a lesson I learned here. I need to be much nicer to myself. I'm too hard on myself sometimes. I think um, it's really amazing, like, when you can go back and look at stuff and realize the moments you thought were the end of the world really weren't the end of the world. Yeah. Because, like, that's a great reminder. Like, whenever something goes bad, it's like, oh, it sucks now, but I've been through worse, and I got through it. So I know I'm going to get through this, but this sucks right now. <laughs> remind myself too like actively will this really matter five years from now Mm -hmm. will it even matter five months from now Mm -hmm. if not like I just let it go as much as I can because when I don't I am a crazy person (laughs) (laughs) I am not a nice person to be around when I feel like I've been pushed into a corner Mm -hmm. so for me that's what I do and then keep good people around you and those things happen less and less how did you start building your tribe within New York so, for the trial and errors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, my first thought was to just completely not have friends because my real friends were in D.C. <laughs> I actually used to say, well, my friends are in D.C. Or my real friends, which I know to start to offend some people that I was around, right? <laughs> um, so, when I first moved here, I was at an agency. I was one of two black people there. And an agency of 200. Mm-hmm. And we both were in managerial roles. And it's weird. New York is different. Like in D.C., if you see a fellow black girl, you're like, hey. But, like, I noticed that she, like, avoided me, right? And I was like, hmm. Then we got a client together, and I realized I adored her, like, in real life. And she is still one of my really good friends. So that was trial and error gone right. Mm-hmm. From there, the agency, I also have 
maybe four or five other really, really good friends um, that I still talk to all the time and love and we'll do like lunch dates. Then remember when I told you that I was dating this guy? Mm-hmm. Is this the one that whose mother you like? Yeah. <laughs> and also what I liked is he had one decent friend. Mm-hmm. And she was, she is a black woman and in a similar industry and I felt like I loved the way she moved and we became friends but remember how I told you there are great people but they may not be great for you Mm -hmm. at some point I knew that and I did not quite listen to that and then I think when I felt more comfortable to tap into that I unconsciously started to slip away from her and I think that that's what she noticed and we do not speak anymore. I think she's a great friend whoever she's friends with and more power to them. Not for me, right? So that was a trial and error thing but she's a good person. I have nothing bad to say about her. She's just not for me. Um, And that's as bad as it got Mm -hmm. because I'm so private. Now I'd say I'm at BET um, have a couple of really, really good girlfriends and a couple of really good guy friends there. And then I notice more and more people are moving here from D.C. They are. And they, like, they may not have been my friends there or I didn't know them, but there is something about a black girl from D.C. Like, we are amazing. And I notice we're ambitious. And I like to see us win. So, like, I'll root for you. I followed you on social media before I ever met you. Okay? (laughs) And I was like, listen, double tap, double tap. Like, she's doing great things. And when you meet people that feel good, you kind of start to, like, talk to them more, get to know them more. And I think that's how now I'm building my tribe or expanding it. Because it's like, okay, who's somebody that I feel like we were raised similarly? I think that's important too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do we have the same values? Do we believe pretty much the same things? It's easier for me to have a genuine friendship with someone with the same core values. We don't have to be completely alike, but like, you respect love and loyalty and honesty. If you don't respect honesty, I'm definitely the wrong friend for you. (laughs) Like, I'm not rude at all, but I will be honest. I'll be like, oh, I don't think that you should do this, or... This isn't great. And I expect the same from my friends. Like, I don't need a yes friend. I don't do well with those. And I feel like my tribe has to be very honest. Like, you have to check me. It's okay. You're my friend. I know it's not coming from a place of, like, hate or jealousy. Like, you're doing this because you think I could be doing something better. And I I love having that from my friends. So that's important. And I also give that. So if that's not your type of thing, not the friend for you. (laughs) To be completely honest. (laughs) And that's okay. We can be associates. Nothing wrong with a good, hey, girl, let's go to lunch. Sometimes when you bring people on that aren't quite a fit into your inner circle, it doesn't do you good. It's more harm than good. Song number one. Okay. What should be my final song, Unique? I have thought about this over and over. (laughs) And I think it's going to be... Oh, so funny story. At first, it was going to be She Works Hard for the Money, and then I remembered that's about prostitution. So I said, not going to do that. Um, I think I'm going to do Mad by Solange. That was all Cranes in the Sky. Um, It has a guest feature from Lil Wayne. Because also, and this is especially to black girls and Latina girls too, I feel like sometimes, like, Latina girls sometimes get a pass because they're known as feisty and feisty is for some reason like a Sexy good connotation and, yeah. yeah but we get angry y'all we get angry <laughs> we're the stereotypical angry black yes. woman <laughs> but like this song really spoke to me especially at the time because all the trump stuff was going on and um i just feel like it's okay to be mad mm-hmm. you do not have to walk around with a smile on your face doesn't matter i mean if you want to that's fine but like you don't have to if you want to have a straight face, it doesn't matter. If you're upset with something or you're not happy with the way something's going, you are supposed to speak up. You know, she's like, I have a lot to be mad about. And I had this conversation with my mom one time because she wasn't having a good day. And then she was like, well, you know what? I'm not going to complain because I'm blessed and people have far bigger problems. And that's true. But what does that have to do with you? Like, you can be unhappy with something and know that you're blessed. And I think that, again, that was something that I kind of learned here. 
Like, it's okay to speak out and speak up. If people call that mad, that is on them. But when other people do it, it they're not angry. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be afraid of that angry black woman stereotype because you know who you are and you know how you carry yourself. Still speak up. I feel like that's a way that we get silenced. Yeah, I hate that stereotype. Yeah. Because it's like, and then it has like that um, negative connotation to it. And it's just like, you're not, and you're not even like angry. It's just like, you're just, I don't know, you're just like pissed, you're frustrated. It's not, well, you can be angry, but it's like not a bad anger. It's just, I don't know, I don't know. You can't be angry. I have a lot to be mad about is what Solange said. And I was like, you know what? I do. <laughs> like, I cannot be okay with something. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is allowed that. But why But why, why is it that when black women aren't, are mad, it's just like, well, you're the angry black woman. It's just, I don't know. Why do they do that to silence black women? Strength is frightening, especially when it comes from a source that you don't quite understand. You know, I think it's easy, not easy, easier for people to kind of put people into groups, like, and know how to deal with them. Mm -hmm. But the black woman is still a mystery. Like, they may know how to market to us sometimes, but even then, they get it so wrong and they're so confused. They're like, how how did this happen? Like, we thought we did all the research. What do you mean monkey in the jungle is bad? What do you mean we can't have these, a whole ad with just white people for Shea Moisture? What do you mean? And then I feel like they haven't taken the time to understand us, and when you don't understand something, it's just frightening. Because everybody gets angry. Mm Mm-hmm. When white men are angry, they're authoritative. You know, when black men are angry, it depends. Um, But it's either seen as a threat or someone being super confident. Um, They have this horrible stereotype for Asian women where they don't get angry, which also isn't true, you know what I'm saying? But how much more comfortable is it to just paint them as submissive? For us, it's okay. If you start speaking up, you're an angry black woman. So don't be an angry black woman. That means you can't speak up. I'm not afraid of that. One, everyone knows that I'm really nice. But I'm going to speak up for what I want. Because when I don't, I'm the one that has to live with that. I have to live with being unhappy. I have to live with not liking something and only silencing myself to make other people happy. Who does that for us? No one. No one. And I just, again... New York will breed a stronger person because it's like, I'm not doing that. Even with my, like, property management company, that's always, like, a hassle sometimes. And I would, like, not complain about stuff. But then my refrigerator isn't working for a month, and I've ordered out every day and spent $900 where (laughs) these people get paid to fix my refrigerator. And I was like, you know, absolutely not. I'm going to call them, tell them they still did not fix this, and I will keep calling them until they fix it. Then... When I'm more outspoken, things do get fixed. And I'm always nice. Like, I'm always nice. I'm never rude. But I'll let you know, hey, I called on January 1st at 1038 and spoke to Victoria. And she told me that somebody came to fix it. And here it is two weeks later. And it's still not fixed. And I've spent this much money. So I'm going to forward you these receipts so you can take it off my rent. Mm Mm-hmm. I got a rent credit and a new refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) Being quiet doesn't do that. I'm not afraid of the angry black woman stereotype. I think that I really think it was something used to silence us. Because when in history have women, black women, even been allowed to speak? Never. Never. Even to this day, we still have black women being the first to do something. I know that that still amazes me. It's crazy. It's like it's unacceptable. Like, it's like really the first? No one else has done this yet? Because they weren't allowed to. Because that means you have to speak up. Mm-hmm. That means you have to say, I should be doing this, whether it's a government position or creating something, you know? I just, I learned here that not speaking up is far more detrimental to my health than speaking up. So if you, you know, have to call me the angry black woman, which I've actually never been called. <laughs> That's another thing. When you speak up, you're rarely called the angry black woman. But if you do get called that, keep moving. You have a bigger mission. You don't silence yourself to make somebody else happy. That was definitely a big lesson. But yeah, that's my number one song. What kind of woman would you define yourself as? 
a growing one. I am constantly learning and trying to apply lessons. Um, a growing one, definitely a kind one and a happy one, which honestly is the best attribute I could give myself. I'm happy. So have you always been happy or was like that a working progress? I feel like I've always been happy, but when I moved to New York, I was very unhappy. Like, <laughs> And it's crazy because no one knew and I don't think that I knew. Mm-hmm. The pace is so fast. You know, black women are strong anyway. So it's like, oh, you know, you keep on going. These are just bumps and bruises. But for at least a good eight months, I was unhappy. And it was something I wasn't used to. And... I had to sit there and, like we said, tap into myself and say, okay, what are you doing wrong? Because this is what you can control. So what are you doing? And it's basically all the lessons we just talked about, I applied them. And I'm back to my happy self. That's so good. <laughs> that is so good. Because, like, when you're used to being happy and then when you become unhappy, it's it's, a we- it's weird. Because you, you don't understand it as foreign and you don't really understand how you got in there so you can get out of it. It's weird. And it's hard to admit. Yeah. At least for me, like, also a big lesson that I've learned just throughout life, no matter where I am, is that sometimes, like, failure just sounds like a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. And if I instead position it as it was a try versus a failure, I'm more likely to combat it head on. Failures are depressing. Like, oh, you're not happy? What's wrong with you? Versus... I don't feel like I used to feel. So what can I do to get me back there? Two different ways of handling things. You know, nothing's wrong with me. I just need an adjustment. <laughs> what can I do to please myself? Sounds a lot better than what's wrong with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, girl, what can you do to make yourself happy today? I ask myself that every day now. Okay. That's a good thing to do. Yeah. I'll be like, all right, Brittany, what are you going to do to make me happy today? I've convinced myself that it's the gem. It's not, but it will be. (laughs) It will be. No, but then I also feel like, um, and this is like a lesson I've learned. Like, I remember, like, there's a point where I was unhappy, but I didn't know why. But I knew it was something with me. Mm -hmm. And then, like, expressing that to someone else, I don't know. You feel like they take it on, they take it on too. It's like, no, me being unhappy has nothing to do with you. It's just, I'm unhappy, and I have to figure out what's wrong with me. Well, what can I fix? <laughs> How can I please myself? How can I please myself? Like, not what's wrong. With me. How can I please myself? And like, it's not you. It's legit me. <laughs> and also, that's why, like, I went a good six or seven months only going out with platonic friends. Mm-hmm. I would not invite. Anyone into my life that wanted to be more than a platonic friend. Um, And I feel like that helped, actually. Because what happens is, as strong as I like to believe that I am, it's really nice to be able to lean on somebody else. And if you're not in a good space, you'll lean on somebody else who you shouldn't be even interacting with sometimes in that capacity. So um, not dating for a couple months was really good for me like it was really good and the reward is I'm happy and I am dating and I've never said that out loud before to people that did not know (laughs) (laughs) I am dating we're not married though so please still slide in my DM sex sorry baby Um, (laughs) but yeah like I am dating and I'm super happy and he you attract what you put out Mm mm-hmm So if you're going through too many transitions, but you're still pretty strong, you'll attract somebody that needs your strength, but also wants to transition. And it could be like, have you ever seen or read the book, The Green Mile? I've seen The Green Mile. So I feel like when I moved to New York, that's what I was doing. Like I was Michael Clark Duncan and I was sitting there just sucking the bad things out of people, Mm -hmm. but it was like wearing down on me. And... At a certain point, I was just like, okay, well, you saw how that movie ended. Like, relax. Yeah. Separate yourself. <laughs> Do you, not take on other people's things. Because then you won't have anything for yourself. It's just like, you have to... It's one of those, like, you, you start to realize, like, I keep giving and helping, but it's like, you're not getting anything in return. Can I say something? This is really bad, but I think I was doing it on purpose. 
You really? Mm-hmm. Why? I think that it was so much easier to fix other people's stuff than your own than to focus on what I should have been focusing on. That is. And I had to like say that to myself. You know, it's as much as you want for your friends to be the type of people that check you, you have to check yourself. And I had to check myself. I'm like, come on, Brittany. Like, what are you doing this for? Like, you don't even like this person that much. What's going on? And I was like, well, let's see. I can focus on this or I can sit here and focus on the things that I'm not doing that I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that stigma of being a failure that like I am my worst critic. And I think I just didn't want to approach where I wasn't measuring up on a personal level head on. Whereas other people thought, oh, my God, you're doing this, you're doing this. I knew what I was capable of and what I was not doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sometimes you got to be real with yourself. I feel like everyone goes through that. Yeah. So, and other important people, to say that again. Everyone. everyone goes through that. And it's always easier to help and fix other people's problems than your own. Yeah. Because you just don't know where to start. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems so easy. Like, oh, you're not making enough money? Let's get you a new job. Like, Whereas you're just like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I can tell you, I have a horrible book of things that I say that I need to start and still haven't started. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> but I'm getting better. Like, I'm holding myself accountable. And when you take some time away for yourself, you get to work on those things. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just, like, learning how to manage time and be super productive. Not busy, but productive. So what's the legacy you want to leave behind? I would like for... Okay, I have two funny jokes. So my friend, one of my really close friends, she works for Bossip, and, you know, they had those crazy headlines. Mm-hmm. So I tell her, I'm like, listen, if I die anytime soon, <laughs> I need for you to write my obituary, my epitaph, and my tombstone. So, like, we come up with, like, fun things that we wanted to say. And I was like, make sure you include that line from Beyonce where she's like, here lies Britney Sierra, most bomb. And she was like, I am not putting that on your tombstone. She was like, I'm not putting it on your tombstone. I was like, Danny, if you don't put this on my tombstone. She was like, okay, I got you. Not the legacy I want to leave behind, but um, that's just funny. Every time I think about death, I think about that line. Um, I think I just want to be known as someone who helped others and was genuine and kind and paved a way for other women. That's so important to me. Um, Like, even since I've been at BET, I've hired personally three interns, and luckily they were all women that could do the job, women of color and just women in general. And every day I'm sitting there and I'm like, I want to be the type of manager that I always wanted, where you feel comfortable to come to me, but also know you have to work hard Mm -hmm. and where I can guide you professionally. And if you also feel like you want to come to me for something personal, I can guide you in that too within boundaries, you know? And I think that's what I want to just be, like be known as a woman who helped other women genuinely, not for likes or for, you know, accolades, but just because that's what I like to do. So before we go, you have to give us your Dear Black Girl open letter. Oh, man. Okay. I'm actually going to do this one off the hip. I thought about preparing this since I listened to your podcast and I knew you were going to ask me, (laughs) but... um. I think I'll do it off the hip and just keep it short and sweet. Dear black girl, you are perfectly capable of doing anything you put your mind to. Don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to ask for more. Don't be afraid to try new things, to travel the world, to learn new cultures. And you are more than enough. It's everyone else that needs to give to you. Love, Brittany Sierra.